You are listening to audio from Life Community Church located in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about our ministry or to financially support God's ministry through us, please visit www.lifeccalexandria.org. Today, Pastor Reed Bradley will take us through Romans chapter 15 verses 14 through 21 in the series By Faith. We will now join Pastor Reed Bradley as he brings us the message. prayer as we get ready and approach God's word. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your faithfulness to preserve for us your holy word. We thank you that it is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword that is able to, to pierce the very depths of our soul and make us more like you that it it pierces us but it heals us as well and we thank you for the grace and mercy you show us this morning we thank you for your blood which has redeemed us and brought us together to hear from our lord and we ask that you would be glorified in all of these things amen i want to take a minute and welcome you again this morning my name is reed bradley i'm one of the pastors here at life community church and we are in the middle toward the end really of our series through the book of Romans and we have done this in three gigantic chunks this is the third of the gigantic chunks and uh, we are going to be going through I guess this is like part 30 or something I don't know I stopped numbering the parts on my different messages because I kept losing track Uh, but it has been a huge blessing to be able to study and to go through uh, the book of Romans together as a church And as we get started this morning, I'm actually not going to start in Romans, but I encourage you, open up there, Romans chapter 15, verse 14. That's where we're going to start here in just a minute. That's where we're going to read. But the the title of today is Portion for Porridge. And if you know anything about the next few verses, you might guess that there is not anything to do with portion or porridge in those verses. And so it's important for me to to set the stage on what I mean and why I want to use this as a, as a sticking point. Uh, I think that many of us understand, if you're here today, it's likely you understand the basic tenets of the gospel, that Christ, by his grace to you, though you have done nothing to deserve it, died in your place on the cross, shed his blood for you, and in doing that provides you with forgiveness of sins that he provides with you, for you eternal life. And this is God's grace to you. This is God's mercy upon you, that you should be redeemed and made his child uh, to go from being his enemy to being his family. It, it's incredible. There's no other God like this God. And we understand that's grace. However, I think that there is grace that God gives us even after and upon salvation, that God's not done revealing grace to us at the cross. And for every Christian, he reveals you grace every day. And there is a huge portion of grace that I believe most of us as Christians undervalue and leave completely untapped. That There's this giant gift wrapped up, ready for us as we come to Christ. 
and it goes unopened. And to illustrate that, I want to give us the example from Genesis of Esau. Now Esau, he was one of a set of twins. He was the older by a minute or two, and his younger brother was Jacob. They were sons to Isaac, who was the son to Abraham, inheritors of the promises of God. And Esau revealed himself over time to be a very short-sighted man, a man who was concerned with the right now, with his appetite, with the things that he desired. And he lived his life in that manner. And it came about that one day as they were grown men, Esau came in from the hunt and was starving, was just so hungry, unbearably so. And his brother Jacob was cooking some stew, some kind of porridge. It's literally just red stuff, right? And, and it smelled good. It smelled good to Esau. And, and Esau said, I, you know, give me some of that. Give me some of that red stuff. Jacob says, I'll give it to you, but you, only if you sell me your birthright for it. Now, he is the older. Esau would have gotten a double portion of inheritance from his father, right? So two-thirds of everything that Isaac owned would go to Esau as the firstborn. It was his right. Not a good deal for a bowl of porridge. Not a good deal. Even if Isaac had been poor, still not a good deal, right? Presumably, that bowl of porridge was made from stuff that belonged to Isaac, okay? So there's at least one more bowl of porridge somewhere in this entire camp, right? There's no metric by which this is a good deal. And Esau says, well, what good is a birthright to me if I die of hunger? He's so consumed with this idea of how hungry he is and what's going on, so he gives away his birthright, gets the bowl of porridge, and regrets it over the course of the rest of his life. Now, what does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with the book of Romans? Why am I going all the way back to Genesis in order to frame what we're going to talk about today? It's because I want us to understand and to consider the idea that we often have a lot in common with Esau, that we in our impatience and our desire to fix the right now, right in front of us problems, forego greater blessings in our life, that we leave them untapped, we leave them unopened. And God's grace sits there waiting for us. It's not a commentary on whether or not you stand justified before God, but it certainly means that you are not making full use of God's grace to you and that his goodness to you has yet to unfold. And so I want us to consider this, God's grace to us, as our portion and to consider how is it that we can embrace this portion that God has given to us rather than traded away for some temporary gains. With that stage set and with that mindset, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to begin reading in chapter 15 of Romans, and we're going to start with verse 14. We're going to read 14 through verse 21. 
I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is God's word. And so I want to talk today about two graces which are tied together for us as Christians. Two graces which we, uh, as a society, as an American church, have undervalued, have left neglected, and as a result, have really stunted our own spiritual growth and usefulness for the kingdom of God. The first, which we see in verse 14, as Paul describes this church in Rome, is God's grace in community, which is the church. Did you know that your involvement in a local body of believers is a grace To you. Now, you are not saved or made right with God by your involvement in the church, but it is undeniable that God works His grace in such a way that in your involvement in the local church, you are sanctified. You are conformed and transformed into the image of Christ your King. And people can often get this confused. They can confuse the idea of justification, which is your right standing before God, and sanctification, which is God's making you righteous, transforming your life. And here we are talking about that concept, that that your involvement in the local church is a grace by which Christ sanctifies you. And I want you to consider this beautiful description that Paul gives of the church in Rome. How does he describe them? He says, you are full of goodness. You're full of goodness. Now this stands in contrast if we've been reading all throughout the rest of the letter because we know, we know, Romans chapter 3, everybody's sinful. Paul, you just said that. Everybody's a sinner before God. How can, you, how can this church be full of goodness? Paul's not making the argument that any individual person there is full of this goodness or any of the other things that we're about to cover, but rather that the church as a whole, by the spirit which indwells in them, has filled them up with goodness. They're full of goodness. Not only are they full of goodness, but they're filled with knowledge. 
Now, again, not every individual at the church in Rome had all knowledge. But together, as a congregation, as a group of people united around Christ, Paul made the statement, you as the church are filled with all knowledge. You're filled with all knowledge. It doesn't mean that each individual was all of a sudden able to do every individual thing. I am limited in my knowledge. I was just having a conversation earlier this morning about how I'm not good with PowerPoint or with technology. And if you were to ask me for that knowledge, I would be of little to no help to you. I would probably do you more harm than good, right? So I'm not filled with that knowledge. But the church in Rome was filled with all knowledge, not simply in the elementary and worldly things, but in the important things, which we see in the third thing, that they're able to instruct one another. This idea of instruct has this idea of to admonish. It's not simply to impart knowledge. You don't know this, now you know this. But to encourage or exhort you in such a way that it transforms your living right? It's, a, it's an encouragement toward greater godliness, toward that sanctification. And we see here in Rome this picture of what the church is for those who are the church. We, as Christians, need to seriously consider these aspects because the reality is, it's inconvenient to be involved with a local church. There are many times in our lives where we have immediate, pressing desires and appetites, which will seem to take greater precedence over this blessing and this grace that God has given us. My schedule doesn't allow it. My work doesn't allow it. My kids' schedule and work doesn't allow it. I'm too busy. It's not that big a deal. And the reality is we often, like Esau, trade away this blessing in our lives. Now, we're not simply talking about gathering together on Sundays to worship the Lord Jesus. This is a grace to us. It's a blessing. It's a good and wonderful thing that you are here and that we are here together to do this, to gather to God's word. And that's part of it. But that's not all of it. The church is God's people gathered together, walking through life together throughout the week. It's why we gather together throughout the week in what we call life groups so that you can walk through life together with one another, so that there, is pe there are people in your life who know what is going on in your life, who can pray for you, who can admonish you, and whom you can admonish, you can encourage, you can instruct. We are meant to be people who speak truth into one another's lives on a regular basis. And I think we need to talk a little bit more about this because the whole idea of admonishing, of correcting, of instructing goes wrong a million different ways. We see this in our culture. We see this throughout our weeks. But we need to understand that 
This is part of our calling and responsibility as part of the church, and it's also every other brother and sister in Christ's responsibility to be part of this as well. This isn't a special calling. Paul is not saying, and those of you who are apostles, don't forget, you're supposed to be instructing the other people. Uh, Those of you who are pastors, uh, those of you who feel called into the ministry, you, you people need to make sure that you're instructing all those other guys. All of you are meant to be admonishing one another. We need to be cautious as we consider this and as we approach this, but we must, we must be neither cowardly nor self-righteous in our admonishing of one another. To admonish one another means we come humbly before the word of God as the standard to which we conform and by which we are transformed. It means you are speaking God's word into the life of your brother and sister. And they are speaking God's word back into your life. Obviously, if you don't spend any time in God's word, you're not going to be able to do that. So it starts there. But then it comes forward. What does this look like? Just share the gospel with each other. There's so many books and, and so many sermons about go, go and preach the gospel to the neighbors and to the, to the world and to all these people. How about start by preaching it to your brother and sister in Christ who sit next to you? They need to hear it. You need to hear it. And as we share with one another, that excitement and that joy will overflow into the community around us. And you'll be sharing with the world and you'll be sharing truth. But start with one another. As Pastor Ryan said the other week, you can't do one another's by yourself. And so it requires that you come, that you engage with community. We're not meant to be anonymous. We're not meant to come in and to slip out under the cover of darkness as everyone closes their eyes to pray. But there's more than just that, because Paul gives us this example of his ministry. And I want us to consider not only the grace that God gives us in the church by being part of community, by being part of a believers who admonish you and whom you can admonish, but also that each of us are called to minister before God in different ways. Now, Paul here, he gives the example for his life specifically in these verses, right? Don't read these verses and think, I need to do this exact same thing that Paul was called to do. It may be that you need to do this exact thing, but not every person is called to be a Paul. In fact, Paul just encouraged the church of Rome and said he was satisfied for them in their spiritual maturity and growth, and they didn't have a Paul. There's no apostle over in the church of Rome. He's not writing and saying, and yeah, and say hi to, uh, you know, Peter. Say hi to the other apostles who are there. There's, there's no apostles there. It's just a group of Christians who have gathered together and formed this church. And so I want us to consider God's grace in community and also God's grace in ministry in doing the work of God's kingdom, in spreading Christ in the world around us and within the context of the community. 
Paul gives us an example here, and he gives it in how he glories, how he honors and worships in the midst of this. What gets him excited? What gets him celebrating? We see he glories in Christ's work in others, that he sees the Gentiles coming to know Christ, and he, he glories in it. He's excited. He sh- he's shouting, man. He's doing the arm pumps. He's doing, he's raising, man, he's excited. He's excited about what's going on. And so he rejoices, and he's sharing that with them about what God has been doing. And he, he rejoices, and he's excited about what God is doing in himself, in, in us. He glories in what Christ works in others and how Christ works in us. And in all of those things, Christ gets the glory. That Christ calls, Christ empowers, and Christ prospers. All of these different elements unfold in Paul's life. And I want us to consider, if you are familiar with the book of Acts, the course of Paul's life and his calling, because you might be tempted to think, all right, I need to go and do exactly what Paul did. But Paul didn't want to go and do exactly what Paul did. Even in the book of Romans, if we go back and you remember to some of our earlier studies, Paul talked about his brokenness over the lost condition of his fellow Jews. That when Paul received Christ, he was excited. And what did he do? He immediately went to the synagogue to share and preach Jesus to his brothers and sisters, the Jews. But the thing was, they rejected him. And God, rather than giving Paul that ministry, said, you are going to go to the Gentiles. Paul could have been disappointed. Paul could have been frustrated. But he surrendered it over to Christ, and it had this fulfilling ministry over the course of the rest of his life, that he, because he did what God told him to do, was blessed and was a blessing to others. And that grace spread and Christ worked. He ends here in verse 21 by quoting Isaiah 52. And I'm going to read for us really quick. It's not going to be on the screen, but I'm going to read for us Isaiah 52, 13 through 15. You're going to hear Paul's quote is the end of verse 15. But this is the context that Paul is quoting from. Verse 13, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. This is Christ who we're talking about. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths before because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see and that which has, they have not heard, they understand. And that Paul recognizes here that he is participating in Christ's redeeming and sanctification of the nations, that the gospel is going forward, and so he rejoices. And even though he wants to go to Rome, and he can't, because God has not released him from what he's been doing in the different areas. And even though he wants to go to Rome, and he still can't, because he's on his way to Jerusalem. We're going to read about that next week. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's taking this gift. And, but then after that, maybe, he can come and he can visit them and he can encourage them. In all of these different things, he submits to Christ. And this is a grace to him. He rejoices in the midst of all of these things. And he desires to be an encouragement to this church as well. 
And so we see these two elements, a gift of the community of God in Christ's church and the gift of the ministry of God of which we are all called to partake. But, but what do these two examples, how do they look in our life? How, do, how can we go about, let's say you're here today and you think, you know what? I have not been taking advantage of these graces in my life. Or maybe I've only a little bit taken part of those graces in my life. How, what do you do? How do you plug in? I mean, is there a sign-up sheet? Is there, do I, do I need to register somewhere? Do you, is somebody going to send me the link? Would it, how do I get this grace? Right? Where do I go to receive the gift? So I want to talk for us as we close out our time. I want us to consider the idea of serving within the church. In other words, I want to take the blessing. I'm going to keep the birthright. I don't need your porridge. Right? I'll take the portion. Christ, what you have for me is better than all of the things that I've been giving that up for. So, all right, I'll take the portion. I'll take the blessing. What does that look like? I'm going to give you three things. Three things, super simple. Nobody should forget this. First thing, you start by praying. You, you got to pray. If you're not talking to God, how are you going to work for God? If you're not talking to God, how is he going to give you the gift? All right, you need to be on speaking terms with God. How do, how do you get on speaking terms with God? Only through Christ. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to get yourself there. But Christ, in his blood shed on the cross, through his resurrection, has put you, if you trust in him, on speaking terms with God. And so you can now, through Christ, Speak to God. That's what prayer is. So go to God. Start praying. God, I want to embrace this blessing. I want your grace in my life. Show me how to do that. Where do I go? What do I do? Second thing. Serve. Serve. Now, there's no, notice, there's no specific thing. I didn't say serve, fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. Just start. Just start serving. There's lots of ways you can serve around here. Whether it's tech things, whether it's music things, whether it's Awana ministry things, there's lots of opportunities. So, but but you got to get in and you got to start serving. Are you going to get it right on the first time? Maybe, probably not. It's not really your concern. Paul didn't get it right on the first time. He goes out, he starts trying to serve, trying to teach, trying to preach the gospel. And God says, actually, this is what I would like you to be doing. He redirects them. But just start. Just dive in. It's okay if you get it wrong the first couple times. That's part of why we're all going to be together admonishing one another. It's part of why you need to do it in the context of the local church. Paul wasn't out on his own. All right? He had guys like Barnabas come around him, encourage him, bring him in to the church where he could find where he was supposed to be serving, what he was supposed to be doing. And it was in the context of the local church that Paul was prayed for and set aside, along with Barnabas, to go out and to share the gospel with the Gentile churches, to share it and to plant new churches in places where Christ was not known. 
It was through the local church that Paul was called to these very things. And so it will be for you if you are willing to embrace that grace for you in your life. Pray, start serving. Third thing, then you got to surrender. Start serving and you do it with palms open. In other words, Jesus, I'm going to try and do this. There's a need. I'm praying that the need will be filled for the church. Is the, am I the, the filler? Am I the one who can do this? Here you go. And God may say, that's not really for you. And he takes it out of your hand. And we should praise God for that. Or he may say, yeah, go ahead. Take it and run with it. And you should praise God for that. Pray, serve, surrender, repeat. This is a cycle in the life of the believer. It's not a checklist. Pray, check. Don't have to do that again. Serve, check. Don't have to do that. Surrender, check. No, no. It's a cycle. You pray, and then you serve, and then you surrender, and then you pray, and then you serve, and then you surrender. And all of these things are meant to be partaken of in the grace of community. In other words, you don't have to rely on your own self-assessment to know whether or not what you're doing or what you're, how you're serving is actually helping. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, in love, will help you know that. Again, not in a cowardly way, not in a self-righteous way, but in a loving way desiring the best for you, desiring that you should serve as God has designed and wired you to serve. And as we embrace this grace for us in our lives, we become that grace for others in theirs. This is what the church is. It is the community of God's chosen People united by faith who love, follow, learn from, and worship God together. And it's God's designed plan that through this body, through the church, the nations will know that Christ is Lord. The incredible thing about God's grace in our lives is that even though he has access to the stars in the heavens, to the angels who gather around his throne, he chooses to work his grace in our lives through one another. And we don't have to wait for the Apostle Paul to show up to the church to be full of goodness, to be filled with knowledge, and to be able to instruct one another. We don't need some celebrity appearance to be made whole. Christ has already supplied all that we need through one another. My challenge for you this morning as we get ready to close out in a time of worship, my challenge for you is very simple. 
embrace the grace that Christ has for you. If that means here, embrace the fellowship here, then you need to figure out how you can get plugged in. You need to figure out how can I be known by people? How can I get plugged in to one of these life groups? How can I get plugged in through the things that are going on over the course of the week? If it's somewhere else, then go, go somewhere else. Do the same thing somewhere else. All right? Those three steps, the repeat, that applies everywhere. Okay? So just find a church where you can get involved and do that. But we welcome you here, and that's what we are about. That we gather around Christ's word together for this very purpose. Let me go ahead and say a prayer for us as we approach the Lord through song one last time. Lord God, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. I thank you for this incredible grace that you have given us to come together as your people. That you have not saved us to be alone or to wander or to wonder what it is that you have for us, but that you've given us your word and that you have given it to your people as a group. And we ask that as we come together throughout this week, as we seek to encourage one another, to admonish one another, that you would be glorified in the midst of all of these things and that those in the communities around us who see what is going on in your people would give you glory, would recognize that there is something about the goodness and the knowledge which fills this people and that we would point to you and say that you are the one who has filled us. Lord Jesus, to you be all the glory. And in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Life Community Church Alexandria. We believe that there should be no anonymous Christians, so we would love for you to visit and worship with us Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Please visit www.lifeccalexandria.org for more information. Thank you, and God bless.